You can find your seat. If you're new this morning, my name's Brent Smith. I work here at the church doing a few different things, and when they've hit rock bottom, they get me up here to preach in the morning. <clears throat> so, you got me this morning. Joe and Gary are in Kitchener-Waterloo at uh, Bruce Gamble's church, Lamplight Church there. They're speaking this morning, so uh, they say hello uh, with Aaron and Christina Moss, who have recently moved there. So they're joining them this morning. <clears throat> Just a small announcement. Well, it's not really small before we get started. Just wanted to say that my wife's pregnant. March, we'll have our fourth. The oldest being five. We figured a few could do it when in his mid-30s. That I could do it when I was 29. Eh? I can handle it. So I put Nathaniel to bed last night and I told him I was preaching this morning and he wanted me to make sure I told you a couple things so I'm just going to pass those on quickly. He said, make sure you tell them that God helps you make good decisions and to stay away from rattlesnakes. (laughs) So I'm telling you, in 20 years he's going to be bringing it up here. So. Okay, we ready? So as Joe mentioned last week, we're going to start the Gospel of Matthew this morning. Uh, Joe did a great job last week uh, speaking about uh, be- Christ being central in our lives. And, uh, and then we're just going to go right into Matthew this morning. I'll do a, a short introduction, a little shorter now that it's quarter after 11, uh, to all the Gospels, and then we'll zero in on Matthew, and we'll look at Matthew for a minute, and uh, then we'll have a little bit of a platform to go into Matthew 1, chapter 1, and we'll look at the genealogy of Jesus. Some of you are wishing you had a bigger coffee (laughs) this morning, but it's going to be great. I've really enjoyed studying it uh, this week, and uh, hopefully that comes across, and you will enjoy it as well. So, the Gospels. Uh, the first thing we want to we want to just make note of what is a gospel. Uh, it really helps us in how we read it. Uh, so, three things that the, a gospel is not: a gospel is not a congregational letter, like we just finished with Galatians, where one man, Paul, sat down, writes a letter for a specific church, instructing them in some things. A gospel is not that. A gospel is not a uh, comprehensive biography. So the, the authors of the Gospels didn't sit down and try to uh, write down everything that Jesus did in his life. It's not, it, it doesn't include all the events of his life. It doesn't include all his teachings. John says at the end of his Gospel that if someone tried to do that, the world couldn't contain all the books that it would take. So it's not a congregational letter. It's not a comprehensive biography. And it's not a chronological history. It doesn't follow a set timeline. It doesn't say in April Jesus went down to Galilee and did this, and then the next week he did that, and then the next week he did that. It doesn't follow that sort of a timeline chronologically. So the gospel literally means good news. That's what the word gospel means. And a gospel is an account of the good news of Jesus Christ. 
And that's the goal of the authors. That's what they're doing when they write. They're portraying the good news of the account that Jesus has come to earth to die for us, to set up His kingdom. So, that's what a Gospel is. We'll just look at quickly at the three other Gospels, which will help us in our look at Matthew. So let's start at the last one. The Gospel of John is the most different from the other three, uh, where Jesus is emphasized as the Son of God. Okay, So John has uh, a lot more of a heaven-downward approach, where the other three have more of a ground-up approach. So John starts right off with the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, uh, heavy emphasis on signs and miracles. So that's the Gospel of John, Jesus as the Son of God, which you see in John 3.16. Then we go back to Luke, where just the opposite is emphasized in Jesus. It's Jesus as the Son of Man. And if you look at Luke's genealogy in Luke chapter 3, he starts with Jesus, and he traces Jesus' physical lineage back to Adam, to show that he's the son of man of all kind of all mankind. And then uh, Mark, the shortest of the Gospels, portrays Jesus as the suffering servant. Uh, we see Jesus' emotions a lot more in Mark. Uh, Mark's very fast-paced. It's always immediately, immediately, immediately. And, uh, and then you have the verse in there where Jesus says, I've come to not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. So Mark portrays Jesus as the suffering servant, and then we get to the gospel we're going to look at, Matthew, where Jesus is seen as the sovereign king. And the differences between Matthew's genealogy and Luke's is that where Luke traces the physical lineage back to Adam, from Jesus back to Adam, Matthew does it from Abraham through to Jesus, through David, through to Jesus, tracing his legal lineage as heir to the throne as the king. So that's going to be the emphasis this morning, is Jesus as the king. If you like to write titles, you can write, the king has come. <clears throat> and that's what Matthew's really going to hammer home uh, just in this first uh, 17 verses and throughout the rest of the gospel, that Jesus is the king, that he's the son of David. You'll see as we go through Matthew, you'll see blind men cry out, son of David. Uh, You'll see a heavy emphasis on Old Testament prophecies and their fulfillment in Jesus. And uh, we'll see Jesus portrayed as the Messiah, as the anointed one who's come to reign as king and set up his kingdom of heaven. So, that's Matthew, the gospel. We'll just take a minute and look at Matthew, who, who he actually was, who the author was. Matthew was one of the twelve disciples. We don't, uh, we don't meet him until chapter 9 in, in the Gospel of Matthew, where we learn that he is a tax collector, which means that he collected money from the Jews for Herod Antipas, who later beheads John the Baptist. So, just like anyone who takes your money and kills your best friends, or has a boss who kills your best friends, Matthew wouldn't have been very well liked amongst the Jews. And uh, he's e- he would have even been seen as a traitor uh, amongst his Jewish people. 
you see that when Jesus calls him to be his disciple and he throws a little party and the only people he can invite are tax collectors and other sketchy people. So, he goes on to become one of the twelve disciples. We learn from Acts 1 that he was there when Jesus ascended into heaven, uh, that he was there in the upper room when the Holy Spirit came, and tradition says that he went on to preach the gospel and was later uh, beheaded for his efforts. So that's Matthew. And... uh, We'll get right in here to Matthew 1, chapter 1, or chapter 1, verse 1. The genealogy of Jesus Christ. And uh, we believe that when it says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is profitable, there's not a footnote there that says excluding genealogies. So we'll get into this. And as I said, I really have enjoyed it this week, uh, just looking at what Uh, Matthew is saying here with this genealogy and uh, just how weighty it is and how full it is. And uh, I hope that by the end of this, you'll have a greater appreciation for it as well. And uh, we just pray that the Lord really speaks to us this morning through his word. So let's just pray before we read. Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that you are worthy of our praise forever and ever. And uh, we just pray that you'd be with us this morning. We thank you that your word is powerful, and we thank you for the grace of you giving it to us. And uh, just help us to always cherish it, uh, to read it, to study it, uh, for you speak to us through it. And uh, just pray that your spirit would speak to us this morning, that it you are, that you'd give us hearts that understand, ears that hear uh, what you want to say to us. Change us this morning, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're going to read Matthew 1, 1 to 17, and we're not going to be concerned if I say names wrong, okay? We're just going to read. Matthew 1, 1 to 17, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Here we go. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, 
and Zerubbabel the father of Abiad, and Abiad the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliad, and Eliad the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is, Christ, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. We did it. Hey, thank you. Okay, verse 1. We're going to look at three things that Matthew is showing us here from these list of names and the titles that he gives Jesus and the way he sets this up that he's showing us about who Jesus is. First one, that Jesus is the promised king. Let's just look at verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So the Greek... The Greek word Christ there uh, is the same as the Hebrew Messiah, which means anointed one. It's not his last name. It's uh, the title that Matthew has given him. Uh, and it, it wasn't just a name that you just slap on anything. It carried a lot of weight. Uh, there's a lot of stuff attached to the term Messiah. Uh, it encompassed all the Old Testament expectations of one who was coming to lead and teach and save and rule God's people. <clears throat> when Andrew meets Jesus but in, the, in the Gospel of John, when Andrew meets Jesus, he runs back to tell Peter, we have found the Messiah, or we have found the Christ. So there's a lot of, he's excited, there's a lot of weight around that word. Okay? So the other title he gives David, or, or uh Jesus is the son of David. And to see the significance of what is meant by that, we're just going to take a quick Old Testament tour. I was trying to get Andrew there with that, but Andrew says tour, but that's okay. Okay, quick Old Testament tour, 2 Samuel. Let's go 2 Samuel. We'll start to see the significance of what is meant by son of David. Okay, we're going to go quick. 2 Samuel 7, verse 12, says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come for your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. That's God talking to David, which has a small fulfillment in his son Solomon, but has a greater fulfillment in a greater king, Jesus. Solomon's kingdom didn't, wasn't established forever. Jesus will be or is now. Uh, so in one respect, small view, uh, a prophetic word about Solomon, but a greater view, prophetic word about the coming of a Messiah, a son of David who will reign forever. Let's jump ahead. Isaiah. Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9, starting in chapter 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, got given, 
and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. So see the key word there? The throne of David. This is what calling someone the son of David. These are what the Jewish people knew these prophecies. They knew these scriptures. This is what is meant by son of David. Uh, Just flip over a couple pages to 11, verses 1 and 2. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and the branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So, a a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Jesse's David's father. It's referring again, son of David. Okay? And it's not, as you read that, that's not about Solomon. That's not about any of David's descendants except Jesus. Jesus is the only one who fulfills those. Just jump down, verse 10. 11, verse 10. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. So again, root of Jesse, referring to Jesus. Jump ahead, Jeremiah. Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will, deal, will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called, The Lord is our righteousness. Again, pointing ahead to an offspring of David, someone in David's line who is going to rule forever. One more. Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37, 24-25. My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. So my, David, my servant David shall be king. David's dead. So it's obviously not talking about David. He died a long time ago from Ezekiel's time. So it's talking about someone greater, someone ahead, a son of David who will rule and reign. And that's what Matthew is saying by starting off the genealogy, Jesus Christ, son of David. So those are all the things that are coming together by, by Matthew just, just calling Jesus by that title. The other thing that Matthew is doing is this whole genealogy is pointing towards David, pointing towards Jesus as the son of David. It's set up in three sections of 14. And in, in the ancient world, uh, letters weren't just building blocks for words, but they also... Uh, operated as numbers. And so the number for David was 14. When you added up the numbers together, I know it sounds like an A&E special unlocking the secrets of the Bible, but it's legit, okay? And that's what Matthew is doing. Three times he's saying 14 generations, 14 generations, 14 generations. So he's saying David, 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 always pointing people back, Jesus as the son of David. Okay?
Next title, the son of Abraham. Let's jump back. Genesis, we'll see the significance of calling someone the son of Abraham and what uh, promises were associated with that. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Yeah, that's as far as we'll go there. So the the promise to Abraham is that through Abraham, someone through Abraham in his line will make all nations blessed. Abraham can't do that. Only one person can do that, and that's Jesus. And we'll jump ahead to Genesis 22, and we'll see it again. Genesis 22, 18. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Okay? So no, no uh, physical, literal son of Abraham can bless all the nations. Only one man can do that, and that's Jesus. So that's what the title Son of David says. It says Jesus is the Messiah with the royal lineage who will rule and reign over his kingdom. Son of Abraham says Jesus is the one who fulfills the promise to Abraham that all the nations will be blessed through him. These all find their fulfillment in Jesus. And the the early Jewish reader who Matthew's writing to would see that, they would feel that weight of calling someone the Christ, calling someone the son of David, calling someone the son of Abraham. You didn't just throw that around. There's a lot of significance there. So why, why would it be important to do that? Why would Matthew put so much emphasis on showing them that Jesus is the promised King, the Messiah, who has come to save His people? <clears throat> to better understand that, if we look at, if we look at, uh, at who Matthew's writing to at that time, it's the early church. The emperors in Rome are persecuting the Christians. Christians are being arrested. They're being crucified. They're being tortured. Um, A Christian at that time was basically an outlaw. And with all this going on around them, with Christians being mocked, being uh, cast aside by their own religious leaders, this is where Matthew writes this gospel to the church. Okay? So with this genealogy and the rest of the gospel... He's writing to the Christians who had lost everything and saying, He is the Messiah. He is the promised King. I know it's tough, but He's coming again. I know it looks bleak, but just like Sheila prayed, it's worth it. He's the Messiah, and it's worth it. He is the Son of David. He is the Son of Abraham. All nations will be blessed through Him. His rule and reign will last forever of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. So even though it looks tough right now, hang on, he is the son of David. He is the son of Abraham. He is the Messiah who has come. And the message would be the same for us today. We might not be crucified and tortured and arrested for our faith, but life can be hard as a Christian. Things can look bleak. 
We can question sometimes whether it's worth it, but it's worth it. Read those titles, Son of David, Son of Abraham, Jesus as the Christ. Look at the promises in the Old Testament. It's the same for us today of the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end. And as he says at the end of Matthew, all rule and authority has been given to me. Given to me, I'm coming back. I'm going to reign on my throne forever. <clears throat> Those are the promises. So everything that was promised about him will come to pass if it hasn't already. Everything that he promises will happen. He is the promised king, and you can count on it. So just hang on those titles, Son of David, Son of Abraham. What is the difficult life of following Jesus next to being under the rule and the reign of the King? Next point is that He is the Sovereign King. <clears throat> Joe spoke a lot about this last week. Um, but what Matthew's doing here, it's not just a little list of names. Uh, Isaiah 46, 9-10 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no one else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. So, all of history, what Matthew is showing us by this list of names, is that all of history has flowed to Christ, and all of history flows from Christ. <clears throat> he is sovereign over it all. There's no coincidence. There's, no, uh, there's no, nothing happened by chance in the Old Testament. God orchestrated it all to point towards His Son. I mean, you look down the line, you see Abraham had his, had his son when he was 100. It didn't even look like, it looks like the line's going to end there that leads to Christ. But he has a son when he's 100, and the line continues. Ruth, abandoned, redeemed by Boaz, the line continues. God, sovereign over it all. After we, get, after we read Solomon's name, the whole nation of Israel just goes down the toilet, and it's just just down into sin and into turning away from God, and still God works through it to bring about His Son. And the point that Matthew is making is that Jesus is at the center of human history. He is the goal. It all flows to Him. It all flows from Him. <clears throat> um... And throughout history, there's been nations and there's been rulers and there's been kings and there's been tyrants and presidents and prime ministers and they've all come and they've all passed and in the middle there's one man and his name is Jesus and he stands alone at the center. <clears throat> it all points to Jesus. It's not just a boring list of names. It's all showing that all of history has pointed to Jesus. Joe just wasn't making that up about Christ being central. We didn't just pull the name out of a hat. It's all through the Bible and it's, it's what the Bible is. It's Christ is 
central. And if you see the weight in referring to Christ as central, when we realize that if Christ is the sovereign king, if he is central, that means you're not. Which is what I tried to push for a tagline for our church, but it didn't go. Where Christ is central and you're not. But but all authority has not been given to you. There is a boss over you and his name is Jesus. He'll say in the end of Matthew, all authority has been given to me. He is the sovereign king. He's not just a poor peasant from Nazareth. He's not just a carpenter's son. He is the king over all. Last point. So he is the promised king, he is the sovereign king, and he is the saving king. His name, Jesus, is the Hebrew Joshua. Going back to the Old Testament, the man who led the Israelites into the promised land, into their own salvation. It means Yahweh saves. Uh, If you go to uh, verse... I can't find it right now, but they say you shall call his name Jesus for he will save the people from their sins. Jesus is the saving king. And the first thing that we take note of when we look at Matthew's genealogy is that Jesus did not come because of Israel's righteousness. He came in spite of their unrighteousness. And just like we've been hammering home for eight or so weeks when we went through Galatians that you're not saved because of your righteousness, You're not saved because of your good works. It's right here practically. Israel was not saved because they had a long line of godly kings and now the Messiah can come because of Israel's great righteousness. They were saved. The Messiah came in spite of their unrighteousness. If you look down the line, it's a pretty crooked family tree. Judah commits incest with his daughter-in-law. Rahab is a prostitute. David is a murderer and an adulterer. Uh, Joram, when he ascends the throne, he kills six of his brothers. Uh, Ahaz sacrificed his sons to false gods. Manasseh is remembered as the most evil of all the kings. God says he had filled his nation with innocent blood and God holds him responsible for the whole nation being led into captivity. And yet, through them, the Messiah comes. So just think about it for a minute that the great, 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 great grandparents of Jesus hated God and led other people to hate God. And yet the Messiah still comes through them. And through this genealogy, when the Jewish readers read that, they would know the stories of Manasseh They'd know the stories of Rehoboam. They'd see how their nation went down into sin and turned away from God. And then you list all those names and then you say, and from them, Jesus. There's a lot of weight there. So when we look at this long line of sinful people, these wicked men and women, and we see that Jesus comes from them, we ask, why, why are these names included in the line 
that leads to Jesus. And it's the same reason that your and my name is included in the line that leads from him. And it's all because to display the greatness of the grace of God. Because if there's one thing Matthew's genealogy does, it shows us this. It shows us that the people Jesus came through are the same people that Jesus came for. Abraham was a liar. Jesus came for liars. Rahab was a prostitute. Jesus came for prostitutes. David was a murderer and an adulterer, and, and he came for those too. Rehoboam was a cruel tyrant. He came for him too. He came for kings and rulers, and he came for the small and the insignificant, like when we get down to Joseph and his teenage wife Mary, small and insignificant, and Jesus came through them, and he came for them. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as saving King, if you think, well, that's great for some people, but I've done this and I've done that. You don't know my background. You don't know my past. Just look again at the list of names. Jesus came for you. If you feel like a failure, there's a long list of failures in the line that leads to Jesus. He saves not based on our merit, but only by His grace and mercy. It didn't matter that the sins of the Jewish people were so great that they had turned their backs on God over and over and over again. It didn't matter that they mocked Him and that they cursed Him and they filled their nation with innocent blood and broke every commandment possible. God's grace still drops like a bomb in that stable in Bethlehem. And saying to the whole nation, it doesn't matter about your... uh, It's not because of your great righteousness. It's in spite of your unrighteousness. I send my Son. And it doesn't matter what your background is, who you are, or what you've done. His promises are not conditioned on those things. He still comes for you. So Jesus is the promised King. All the Old Testament promises are found in Him. What was said about Him and what He promises will all be true. You can count on it. He's the sovereign King. Throughout human history, He stands as central and has rule and reign and authority over your and my life. And He is the saving King. He comes to the world by great grace Not because of Israel's righteousness, but in spite of their sinfulness. And if he is the king, like Matthew is saying that he is, that has great implications on your life. Because as we go through Matthew, you're going to see a king who reigns over sickness, who reigns over demons, who reigns over weather. Uh, You're going to see a king who calls his disciples to consider the cost of following him to lay down their life for His sake. You're going to see a king who ultimately reigns over death and sets up His kingdom 
and says that all authority and rule have been given to him and he will reign forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the promised king and that all these Old Testament promises of your government and your peace, there will be no end. We just thank you for them. We thank you that all the promises that you said, just like Gord said when, when you said, you will never leave us, that you will be with us till the end of the age. We thank you that we can count on those promises. We thank you that you are the reigning, ruling king, that all authority has been given to you, that you are the center point of human history, uh, that there is none like you, that you are worthy, worthy, worthy to be praised. And we thank you, Father, that you are the saving king. And when we look at these lists of names and we see people that hated God and turned, away, turned other people away from you, yet you still send the Messiah because of your great grace. And we thank you that that's the same way that you save us. We thank you that we are saved, not because of our righteousness, because then none of us would be saved, but we're saved despite our unrighteousness by the great grace of you sending your Son. We praise you for that. We just pray, Father, that you would uh, renew in our hearts that Jesus is King. And that he isn't just uh, a great teacher or, or uh, a prophet, but that he is king reigning on high. And we just pray, Father, that we would uh, lay down our lives and follow the king. In Jesus' name, amen.